and welcome to Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that chronicles two brothers and some friends on their way to board game fame. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. And Jesse. Hey, y'all. And we start, as always, with, hey, Michael, what you been playing? Oh, boy. Playing games. That's what we're all about. And the game that I want to talk about this fortnight is Isle of Cats. And I got to play this game that's been in my friend's collection for a while now. And we played it a handful of times, but this is the first time that we got to play with the expansion Kittens and Beasts. So Isle of Cats came out in 2019, designed by Frank West with uh, beautiful art by, oh my goodness, uh, Dragolisco and Frank West. And this is a polyomino game. We've talked about it briefly on previous podcasts. The basis of this game is you have a boat and you're going to this island and you're trying to attract and capture and rescue as many cats on the island as possible and fit them on your boat uh, to be able to rescue them. After five days, the Black Death comes and swallows the island. It's kind of, it's a really cute theme that has a very dark, ominous tone at the end of it. <laughs> And so we played, so you're fitting all these cats that, that are in these weird shapes onto your boat, and you're trying to fit them into nice uh, nice grooves where the, the red cats are with the red cats, and the white cats are with the white cats, and then the purples, purple cats, and so on and so forth. Always a, always a classic, always a banger. And we played with the uh, Kittens and Beasts expansion, which added a nice flair to it. It added kittens, so not only was the original art adorable, well, how about we have some adorable freaking kittens to add to this, where they are <laughs> smaller polyomino pieces that you're trying to fit into this snuggly family that's on your ship, but you also have beasts. Uh, it's something that only happens in the first round, and you can get one or two beasts onto your onto your ship, but these beasts want to be families, uh, be friends with families on the boat. And so you're trying to connect a, a red family to a part of the beast, and you're trying to connect an orange family to a different part of the beast. So you know this beast is being uh, friends with all these different families. And I would I would say definitely enjoyed this expansion. Artwork still very good, still knocking it out of the park. Still love fitting all these different pieces onto my boat and seeing all these cute snuggly kittens and gathering treasures. And as always, I'm still not very good at winning this game. <laughs> because for me, the focus is trying to get all these polyomino pieces to fit all snug and cute-like. But I feel like the best way to win is to get lessons and complete those specific lessons where I just want to have cute, cuddly cats together. <laughs> but the meat of this game is getting these lessons, which are special scoring objectives like, oh, have exactly three red cats or oh have this row filled up <laughs> and that kind of <laughs> specific polyomino placement whereas all these people are scoring their awesome lesson points i am just getting some cuddly kittens so you know what are what are points even uh, <laughs> what are points even you know only cool only cool kids uh get cuddly cats only losers win the game <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh speaking of losers, uh the person who won the game, Jesse, what you been playing? 
<laughs> well, apart from playing Isle of Cats and Power Grid with Michael and some of our other friends, I got to try Destinies for the first time just last night because I was like, I don't know what I want to talk about on the podcast tomorrow, but I have not played a lot of games lately, and this has been sitting on my shelf on my want-to-try shelf, and so I finally broke it open and tried it out last night. Um, it is a game in which characters explore a medieval fantasy land as they race to fulfill their destiny. It is a 2021 game that was designed by Michal Golab-Golubowski and Philip Malunski, and it is published in the U.S. by Lucky Duck Games. It is a game for one to three players, and it is surprisingly not cooperative. It is a competitive game. It's a physical board game app hybrid that focuses on exploration while trying to fulfill a personal quest or destiny. Um, have either of you guys played this before? Uh, is this the one with the Euphoria dog that was posted, or is that a different game? In Game Guesser. No, no, that's uh, that's got to be Chronicles of Crime 1401? 1400s, maybe? Um, no, this one, it is an interesting game. I played the Nature of the Beast scenario, which is the intro quest solo. Um, in this one, you get to choose one of three characters. You can be the noble, the witch, or the huntsman. Um, since I was playing solo, I decided I would be the one that is least like what I'd usually go for, and I chose the noble. And I was given the opportunity to choose one of two ways to fulfill my destiny. So there was a beast in town, and I wanted to prove that I was brave enough to defeat it. And so I could either, spoilers, I could either gather together a band of followers, or I could get the blacksmith to make me a silver weapon so I could defeat the beast. Um, so I traipsed around a little map and found some silver objects and had a blacksmith make me a weapon and then i defeated the beast the game was fun to explore i thought the skill checks component of it was fine every time you're trying to do something you have to like succeed at a little intelligence check or a little strength check or whatever and i thought that aspect was fine um one of the common complaints I read online is that there's no tension in solo mode if you play in explorer mode, which is what I played in, because challenge mode, basically you have to do everything perfect or else you lose, and that didn't sound fun to me. <laughs> I think this game would be a lot more fun at three players because each player is competing to fulfill their own destiny, and based on what I saw on the other character cards, it seems like the destinies are in conflict with each other. Um, so we're each trying to race to do something in terms of this beast because it connects to our own personal story in some way. So I thought that was pretty cool. I think the production is great. It has these tiny, tiny, tiny baby minis. They're so cute. <laughs> They're really super fiddly and hard to like find like oh i'm looking for the little bishop holding a staff and there's like 30 of them oh so there's npc minis the character minis are small right yes but the be but the beast minis are big yes how do you feel about that from a design perspective um i don't really care i guess like <laughs> there's one mini that's like gigantic and the rest are mostly pretty small like the beast mini was bigger than the characters for sure but not so much bigger that it felt ridiculous. Uh, the character minis were really, really small, and the NPC minis were hard to like discern who was what. So that was a little confusing. Despite the tiny minis, I think the insert for this game is really nice. It's super well designed. Everything fits in there snug. 
Um, I thought the app was very good. So I thought the game was fun to try. I can see a lot of the flaws that people have posted about it in their reviews, but I think this would be a really fun game to play at three player count. And so I'm looking forward to trying that at some point in the future. Yeah, I remember I had learned the rules for this game because it was supposed to be at a convention because it, it, it looked gorgeous. And, and if what I remember is like the, the storylines intertwine, and I think that would be fun to explore. This game, you know, BGG is not the end-all be-all, be but it does say that it plays best at two. So, Jesse, if you want to come over, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down we for it. We can play so David, what have you been playing? So I've actually had a lot of family in town and Matilda's been sleeping more regularly and these two things combined mean I have been playing a ton of games lately. Uh, so that's been just a big blessing for me. It's been great getting back into the hobby just I played so many games these last couple of weeks. Nice. Um, not the least of which, my number one most anticipated game for the year which was Naturopolis. And now I'm going to talk about the three Opolis games, uh, because it first started with Sprawlopolis, which was released in 2018, designed by Stephen Ar Armani, the uh, Armani of the board game world. Oh, I'm sorry, it's the <laughs> Stephen Aramini. I was close. <laughs> the, the Aramini of the board game world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Danny Devine and Paul Kluka. And these three people designed what is known as a micro game, or more accurately, a wallet game, because it's published by Button Shy Games. And this is an 18 card game that is tile laying. So on your turn, you are placing out your cards to try and score points. To begin the game, you shuffle up all 18 cards, and you flip over three of them. On the back of each card is a unique scoring condition. And it tells you what you want to do to build your city of Sprawlopolis. Then you just lay your cards out. Every card has four colors and one or two road segments. Now, you don't have to line up the road segments. I think that's really that's a, that's a really good design point. So, like, you would want to or have to in a lot of tile laying games you need to connect the road segments here you don't have to however every road segment at the end of the game is minus one point so if you're not connecting them uh, you're, you're sacrificing points and, and i think that's just a clever design decision and these it's just I, i'm starting to lose my lack of words I, I can't i can't speak about how amazing this card game is it's absolutely phenomenal no joke, this might be in my top 10 games of all time. Uh, just a small little card game from a, mostly from a design perspective, because this game has so much packed into just 18 cards. You shuffle it up, flip over three. Those are my scoring conditions for the round. And then I start laying them out. You want to connect like colors because you score one point for your largest group of each color. And then you start adding up the points for your scoring condition. Each scoring condition has a number at the top left-hand corner. You sum up the three numbers for your three scoring conditions, and that's the score you have to beat to win the game. And it's it's just that simple. And it's so easy to take with you, shuffle up, and play down and go. It is at the point where I don't leave the house without one of the Opolis games in my pocket. They're so small to carry, and if I sit down and play with... Like, I can sit down and just play one anywhere. 
This one's your favorite, though, right? Is that what you're trying to say? So Sprawlopolis is the first. The second one was is Agropolis. Uh, it's got a little bit of a farming thing, theme on it, and it adds a little bit of a twist with one of the four colors is farming pens, and it's sometimes one or two sections, and that scores differently. So it's uh, it's got a little bit of trickier scoring because you sometimes squares are one or two, and you have to balance that with the scoring opportunities. And then the third one, which was Natureopolis, the one that came out in 2023. Mine, I received my copy a couple of weeks ago and I've already played it several times. Um, Natureopolis is actually the easiest of the three, in my opinion. And I reached out to Button Shy and themselves to see if it was actually designed to be easier. Uh, they didn't get back to me, but I looked at the Board Game Geek forums as well and it seemed somebody else was expressing the same opinion that this seems to be easier overall. Natureopolis adds a twist of some of the roads are replaced by rivers. You don't have, you don't lose points for each river that you have. However, there's an extra placement restriction of rivers can't meet up with roads. And, and I've run into that a couple of times where I want to place a tile here, but I can't because a river would connect to a road. So it's, it adds a little bit of interesting placement rules with the rivers and roads. Um, a couple of things I don't like about Natureopolis is the color scheme. Every every set has every set <laughs> has four colors in the cards, and I think Sprawlopolis and Agropolis just look better. Um, and then I don't have a problem with Natureopolis being easier. It's a great entry point for the series if you're if somebody's curious about this. However, the rules for Sprawlopolis have a way to make it easier. You can not subtract points for roads. Uh, and the same is true for Agropolis. And Agropolis even has a challenge mode, so you can make that one easier or harder. Uh, Natureopolis, the rules are the rules, and you lose points for roads. But the scoring conditions just seem to be seem easier. Though That is really my only complaint for Natureopolis. I think if anybody is... If you are interested at all in co-op or solo game, solo mode... Uh, because it does it is, does play best at one or two. I don't think I would ever play it with three or four, really. It just doesn't seem like it would work that well. So if you're playing with one or two, interested in co-op, this is a must-buy. It's only $12. It's it's so good. Yeah, I think this is a must-own game if you are interested at all in any of those things. Or even, not necessarily if you're interested in solo or co-op, but if you're interested in uh, game design. Because this shows how much game you can pack into just 18 cards. 18 whole cards? I'm astounded by the design of this. And so the, these three people put out Sprawlopolis, Agropolis, and Natureopolis. Uh, I would probably choose Sprawlopolis as a starting point. Just, it's the first one, it looks clean, there's a way to make it easier if it's a little tricky for you. Did I convince either of you to buy it? <laughs> well, I already own Sprawlopolis and have never learned to play it. So you've convinced me to try it. It's so good. It's like 10 to 15 minutes solo. You can play it on your desk right after this. Let me know how it goes. Will do. You know, I think I think this, uh, at least Natureopolis, ha fit a specific niche for my collection. Is it Nature Games? <laughs> uh, no, I'm just referencing what we're going to talk about in <laughs> Brother Talk. <laughs> I guess that does bring us to our next segment. Which is Game of the Fortnite. <laughs> <Which> is... <laughs> <laughs>
game of the Fortnite. <laughs> the part of the podcast where we hold one game above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And this Fortnite, we're talking about Red Rising, designed by Jamie Stegmeier and Alexander Schmidt. I, I need to rate, I need to refresh that, actually. It's designed by Alexander Schmidt and Jamie Stegmeier. He's listed second for a reason. Uh, <laughs> and published by Stonemeyer Games. Jesse, you've played this most recently. Do you want to... I don't know that. Most recently is a fair statement. I have not played it since January of 2022. I just took a photo of it most recently. He was just pulling out his components uh, so he could show off his deluxe pieces on our Game Guesser channel on our Discord. Shout out to our Discord. Link below. I was just looking to see if my banana was actually yellow or if it was golden, and it was golden. It's a moon. Um, yeah, <laughs> I got distracted. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> do, do I want to teach, teach the, the game? game? <laughs> okay, do you want to uh, give? Do you want to give a rundown of the game? Yes. Uh, this is a game for one to six players. Each player is representing a rising faction, a rising house in the world of Pierce Brown's novels, Red Rising series. You haven't. You I haven't have read not. The they are YA dystopian literature. So how I've not read them yet is beyond me. I will probably read them at some point. <laughs> have you read them? I have, which is why I know it's not about a bunch of houses rising up like you described. Well, then why did you throw this to me? <laughs> I feel sabotaged. <laughs> no, like literally, the description of the game says like you are a house that's trying to like amass followers or something. Like, I understand there's, like, a society with, like, 14 different classes or castes or whatever, and that they're arranged as a pyramid. Guys, 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 guys. I know the least about the theme of this game. Let me describe it. (laughs) (laughs) Do it, do it. (laughs) No, continue. (laughs) You're doing great, Jesse. You're doing great, Jesse. I mean, I feel like I lost my flow. Look, (laughs) someone once described this game as different ways of counting to seven, and ever since I heard that, I was like, this game is just counting to seven. (laughs) That's all it is. I also think it's Stonemaier's okayest game. Uh, You're you're leading a little bit, but... (laughs) That's because I got thrown off on my description. Start from the beginning, and David, you describe it. Delete me. (laughs) Cancel me. I don't know if I'm going to delete that. That that, Some of that was podcast gold. (laughs) All right, Jesse, you're canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Send me back to 2019, baby. So in Red Rising, players take on the role of several houses that are competing. Uh, The theme doesn't super work in this uh, because the houses are strictly only for the first book where the characters are assigned to houses and battle sur- for survival based on like a what I assume was a fraternity death brawl is kind of what it seemed like but all the cards themselves are characters from the first book and beyond so second and third and in this game players are playing cards down into one of four columns and then picking a card up from one of four columns taking the action of said column then each card scores differently and each card has and most cards have an action that triggers when you play them down into a column and players are trying to do this collecting cards in their hands that score together so certain cards would be like this will this red will only score if it's with two other pinks so you're trying to collect 
the best combination of cards in your hand while taking extra actions and counting to seven, like Jesse said. So the game is over when somebody reaches seven helium or seven on the fleet track or has seven cubes within the Institute, which is uh, that frat battle that I was talking about. What? Why do people want helium? Helium is the power source within the world. Why would you not want helium? You do want it. I mean, it's worth three points within the game. Yes, you do want helium. In the real world, helium is mostly inert, so... (laughs) (laughs) You're mostly inert. (laughs) Boom, got him. (laughs) So, this this game has the Red Rising theme on it, and I think that it works if you are familiar with the books. If you are not familiar with the books... It doesn't really make any sense, and you're just playing cards and picking up cards. That being said, this is not a heavily thematic game. For me, it was fun to look at the cards and say, Oh, that character did do something like this in the book. I get it. I understand. But it's it's really mostly for people in the know. If you're playing it and you if you haven't read the series, it, you, could, you don't understand why things are happening. And, and, and I think that disconnect didn't resonate with a lot of the player base for this game. Like Jesse was alluding to, uh, he thinks it's Stonemeyer's okayest game, and you can find this one on discount quite often. How do you feel about this game? All right, David, you are so correct about if you have read these books, the theme makes so much more sense. Because you'll draw a card, it'll be a character, and I was like, oh, scores 15 points if with other character or other character, and I'm like, great. Who are they? <laughs> it does give you their names and like a tiny little portrait, so you have a vague idea of who they are. But when you're playing this game, you get that card. It's like, all right, now I just have to wait for those characters to pop up out of the deck, and then that'll be a good combination for me. My biggest complaint with this game is I don't feel like you can stick to a strategy. You have to be super fluid as you're building a set in your hand for final scoring. It's not like you're going to get one card and you're you can feel pretty confident that you're going to be able to maximize the way to score it later on as you place one card down, put one card into your deck, do random things. So, also, no idea what the theme is. The art is pretty, though. (laughs) Jesse, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, like Michael was saying, if you're looking for those specific cards that can feel frustrating, luckily there are some cards in the game that act as wild cards. I think they're the orange cards that can replace any specific single-named character, and I think the gray cards can replace any color. Um, So those can be used to fill in combinations when you're struggling. I'm bad at this game. Like, really bad at it. I've played it four times, and three of those times I had the lowest score at the table. I also have seen in three of the four games I've played, Jupiter was the winning uh, house or faction or whatever, um, and it won in every game that it was played. Now, I don't know that that is necessarily, like, the winning factor, because the number of points that you score on the fleet track, which Jupiter boosts your fleet track ability is relatively minimal to the number of points you're going to get off of cards. Like, most of your end game scoring comes from cards. But I've just seen that some of the houses just seem to be quite a bit more beneficial than others, and in particular those that boost you in one of the three counting to seven methods, I think, are slightly better than others. I wouldn't be opposed to playing this game, but I don't think I would suggest it. I would give it a solid seven, It's got a 7.1 on BGG, and it is a game that 
I own and don't mind. It's fine. It's nice. It, it does have good game feel where the act of doing com these mini combos with cards does feel cool, but I just don't necessarily feel in control. Oh, and did we mention that the gameplay is largely, I don't want to say derivative of, but inspired by Fantasy Realms? I will, I'll get back to that, that derivative of comment during the uh, Brother Talk section. I said it was inspired by! You, right, right, that's fine, that's fine. And it honestly, derivative is even fine. Now, I knew this was, game was going to... There's no, there's no stopping any comparison to Fantasy Realms. It's very, very similar uh, scoring-wise and a little bit of playstyle-wise. I enjoy this more than Fantasy Realms. Quite a bit more, actually. I, I think I've played them each the same amount of times. Um, Red Rising has a little bit more going on for it. How, Like Michael was saying, he felt like he had lack of control. That's all I feel in Fantasy Realms, is that lack of control of the deck trying to get what I want. Whereas in Red Rising, you've got the actions when you're actually discarding a card, and then the action you get when you pick up a card. That gives you a little bit more control of the points that you're going to score at the end of the game, and I think that that elevates it above Red, Ri uh, Red Rising above Fantasy Realms. That being said, there is a reason Red Rising was on my board game shelf for a year and a half unplayed. It's It's good. It's not amazing, but I really think it benefits from playing, uh, from reading and enjoying the series. I I got to play this recently with my brother Nate, who's currently on book two of who, who just, he actually just finished book two of the series, and he had a blast playing this with me because he was like, "This guy does this," and at the end, I showed him like, "Look who I have in my hand, and look what his power does," because it it makes sense. Like the the powers make sense. But it's just not going to make sense to people who haven't read the series. So, uh, as a book tie-in game, where do you think this... I haven't played that many other book tie-in games. I guess I've played Dune. <laughs> I've played a couple of Dune games. I I would say it rates okay. It, it rates okay as a book tie-in game. I say that because I definitely enjoy it more than most people, and I think that's because I've read the series. It's also probably really different from a lot of book tie-in games, which seem to often be area control like you think of the main game of thrones game or you think of dune like the main dune game like those are both big board area control type i was just thinking of like the game of thrones card game like if you know the characters in the story like yeah it's gonna be more interesting than if you don't mm -hmm. but i don't think you need to 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 play and appreciate the game all right final thoughts and ratings well jesse gave it a seven but no give it a star <laughs> No build-up. None. I mean... Jesse, Jesse, I do want to say that you came on and said you were going to give give out stars left and right, but you've been really stingy lately. You know... I'm sorry. Pick games that are good for the game of the Fortnite. Like, Suggest this game games not, that are good. For it's not oh, a bad game. Oh, shots it's not fired. a bad game. But it's okay. Like, look, I've probably played it less than any other Stonemaier game, except for Pendulum. So... You know? Okay. Enough about me and my withholding. Michael, help me out here. Withhold a star. Boy, you make fun of me for it. <laughs> Jeez, Michael, you never give stars. You're too hangry. Uh, no, I'm also not giving this a star. Uh, ma mainly on my uh, main comment, if not feeling in control. It does have some mechanics that do offer some good game feel, so it's not, you know, a terrible experience while you're playing it. 
but afterwards, after you've done all the scoring and those points are what they are, I'm just like, well, that was neat. <laughs> I moved my rocket ship. I got some helium. Got got some needle characters with anime hair in my hand. How neat. But that's that's about what it is for me. Well, I also don't give it the board game famous gold star. I'm just giving you grief, Jesse. <laughs> Plot twist. No, I thought my comments were relatively indicative of it. I, I think the game is good, not great. It is by no means essential for any collection. This would be good to play with somebody who really likes the series. I, I think that would, I, I think that's a spot for it. And but because it like it, it's not very thematic, but it is dependent on that theme, it's going to turn a lot of people off, and therefore, it, it doesn't deserve the board game famous gold star. I'll still play it again. I had a great time. I'd probably give it a six rating. Wait, 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 wait. You rated it lower than I did? I did. And you gave me all that grief about how harsh I was being? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so easy. (laughs) Dang. You gave it a six? That's worse than a seven. (laughs) I just wanted to say that because you came on all shiny and new on this podcast, (laughs) talking about how you're going to give out stars left and right, and we've turned you into a jaded reviewer. I hung out with you guys for like a week, and I was like, everything's terrible. (laughs) No, it's not that they're terrible. It's just, I guess I came into it with the idea that the star was to be awarded to games that were best in class, and do I think there are other like better games that require you to collect sets or combinations of cards? Probably. I don't know if I could name it off the top of my head. I don't know that it's a favorite genre of mine. Like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, look, I would play the game right now if you were both here. And I would probably have fun. Okay. And maybe I would give it a star. <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> so, under under the, uh, the hand management mechanism category, the top games that are listed are Brass Birmingham, Arc Nova... Pandemic Legacy Season 1, Terraforming Mars, Gloomhaven, and Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. And now it's time for Road to the 100. Yeah, that's right. There are a lot of sections before Brother Talk. (laughs) I'll get this one done quick. Uh, I recently had a chance to play uh, one of the game's on my top 100 list online with two listeners, uh, Anderson from North Carolina. He's from Charlotte, North Carolina. And then one time, one more time with my brother, Nate, I got to play memoir 44 published by days of wonder in 2004. I believe I didn't actually pull that one up. Boom. Called it. Now memoir 44 is a bit of a hand management war game. You're playing a card from your hand to one of the three sections of the board, left, right, or center, and it tells you on the card which one you can play it to, affecting your troops, moving them forward, advancing, trying to capture objectives, and then destroy enemy troops. Um, It's a really simple war game where you are moving your troops, rolling dice, shooting, trying to capture objectives, like I said. It's pretty quick and easy. Uh, The box offers quite a bit of scenarios if the digital implementation on Board Game Arena is anything to go by. And I'm glad I got to scratch another another game off of my top 100 list. I thought that Memoir 44 was okay. It was alright. My biggest problem with that game is you are drawing cards from the same deck as your opponent. So if 
He gets all the right cards, that's fine. You're going to get all the left cards, which means you're going to be interacting the same in on the flanks. However, if he draws all if your opponent draws all of the center cards, they could storm over you on a specific uh, front in the game. And I didn't really care for that. On top of that, there's no mitigation of the dice in any way, shape, or form. And I think that is essential uh, for for a dice rolling game of some sort. For the most part, it's just roll dice and if you, you get hits, you get hits. It's It makes it a good introductory game. I think what Memoir 44 suffers the most from is the release of Undaunted a few years ago, which is another board game set in World War II, and it just handles it just handles it so much better. Um, it's a deck building game, but you control your deck by recruiting specific soldiers, and what you recruit into your deck gives you more control over your units rather than hoping you draw the right flank or hoping you draw the left flank. You know you've recruited more riflemen. You know you've recruited more scouts. So I think I think Undaunted just handles it a little bit better, which is why I think Memoir 44 has slipped out of the top 100, and it's almost on its way out of the top 200 at this point. Plus, Undaunted keeps coming out with uh, more and more... I wouldn't necessarily call them expansions. Well, Memoir 44 has had had quite a few expansions. Like, they, Days of Wonder supported it. Yeah. But I just think it's uh, the Undaunted is a better re-implementation. And that's really all I have to say about Memoir 44. Where is it on your poster on the road? Your 100 poster? Didn't realize this was going to take that long to answer. I haven't scratched it off yet. I don't know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, it's not on my top 100 poster at all. Is, so. is it on my poster? Am I wrong? <laughs> you played a game you didn't have to play. It's currently, <laughs> it's currently sitting at 176. So that's why I was curious where it sits on your poster. I'll have to find it. could have sworn it was on my poster. Yeah, because I, I was looking through and I looked it up. Yeah, I just can't see it right now. It's okay. You're editing this episode. You can edit it in later. <laughs> If you hear a random number here, I found it on my poster. 69. <laughs> <laughs> How are we friends? Uh... <laughs> so stupid. Michael, you are officially 12. <laughs> uh... And now it's time for Brother Talk, right? Right? We're here now? <laughs> we are finally at Brother Talk, the section that I referenced at the very beginning. And this fortnight, we're talking about crafting a collection. This was brought up by Anderson again. Anderson, shout out to Anderson. He's in this episode a lot. He was asking us questions about how uh, he was listening to our podcast, brought up in the disc- one of our Discord channels, talking about how we often compare this game to another, and if it's worth having both. What it, what, what it takes to for a newer person in the hobby to make those decisions and make sure your collection doesn't end up, honestly, like mine, <laughs> where you have too many similar games. I don't have too many similar games because worker placement is my favorite mechanism. I, I do think I my collection is probably 33% worker placement, about a, about a third. After after he made those comments, I, I thought to myself, I have three polyomino Uwe Rosenberg games. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a niche right there. <laughs> Do I really need all three of those? Let me guess. Patchwork, um, Patchwork Deluxe, uh, and then another Patchwork game. I only have one Patchwork. <laughs> so I think my biggest suggestion for this is 
play a lot of games first and foremost. Play before you buy. Try before you buy. Uh, find a game group. Find out what you like. And then from there, you can do you could do research or you could ask other people. Because <laughs> I, I do a lot of research on board games. And this is where I'm going to go back to your derivative inspired by comment. It's hard to... It's hard to get a collection of games together without uh, repeating mechanisms because board games are driven by iteration, not necessarily innovation. It is very rare to see a new board game mechanism. One of the more recent ones that I can remember being a new splashy mechanism is deck building. And that came out in 2008. And once that happened, a ton of deck builders came out. To the point where that is now its own genre, and I own several deck builders. It's really up to you to try and play these games beforehand to figure out what you like, and then you need to do research on if a game looks interesting, you go, okay, is this enough of a twist to buy this game on its own from the other games that I have like it? Uh, for example, I have, I currently have Above and Below, Near and Far, and Now or Never, and those are all three storytelling games from Ryan Lockett, but I'm going to be getting rid of Now or Never because I don't need it. it I'm never going to play it above, over the other two, whereas I see the I see Above and Below and Near and Far's place in my collection. Two of the Uwe Rosenberg games that I mentioned are part of a trilogy. There's Cottage Garden, uh, Indian Summer, and then the final one is Spring Meadow. I don't own Spring Meadow because I don't need to. I already have two in that series. I don't really need a third. What are your guys' thoughts on crafting a collection? Gotta be able to buy games first before your friends buy them. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you don't. <laughs> uh, I mean, I between all of our friends, I honestly buy the least. I've said it on the podcast before. Jesse posted his collection on our Discord. Uh, another one of our friends posted their collection on our Discord. I posted my collection on the Discord, and I think... If I buy a game, it's really hard to not to have overlap. But can't be afraid afraid to buy a game that might be a miss. Yeah. There's always opportunities for you to offload that game later. You can sell it either to a friend or online. You can donate it if it's not that good or you're just kind of heart. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't need to hold on to it if you don't want to. But just like you, David, you know, I go, I play some games... If I enjoy it, a lot of times I'll buy it. That's how a lot of the games got into my collection. Or I'll see something interesting, uh, like Cupidos or Ark Nova, where I didn't play either of them before I bought them. And they were pretty good. But, yeah, just just play games, find out what you like, and buy more of them. What about you, Jesse? I think you buy the most games of all of us. Uh -huh. <laughs> <Jesse>. <laughs> Nervous laughter. <laughs> so, look. You both gave a piece of advice that I had written down, like, when I was thinking, like, if I were being more conscientious, which I should be, about how I'm crafting and curating my collection. And I also made a note that we should make a flowchart, which I'm going to do at some indefinite point in the future and then point post to the Discord. And most of the answers are going to be, no, you don't need to buy the game. <laughs> but the big question I would ask is, who do I play games with? What is my group? What group or groups do I play games with? Because I think a lot of times, A, does someone in my group own it? Because there's a reason I don't own Isle of Cats. Isle of Cats is probably my favorite game that's not in my collection, but I don't need to. One of my good friends has it. I don't need Power Grid or Quacks of Quedlinburg for the same reasons. 
because some of my friends have those games, even though I really enjoy them. But the other question is, like, am I going to get a group who will play this with me? Case in point, like, my Gloomhaven group, we've been playing Gloomhaven for literally four years. And so I got a couple other games that I was like, well, when we'll finish Gloomhaven, we'll play Chronicles of Drunagor, or we'll play Aeon's Trespass. And I have found that those campaign-style games have mostly sat on my shelf waiting for me to get the group to that point or a group to play that point. So I think the big question is, who am I going to play it with? Will someone play this with me? Will they play it with me more than once? (laughs) And if you can't answer those questions, or if you're going to say, no, they'll only probably play it once, you probably don't need to buy it. You can probably find it in a board game collection at your local game store. I know we have a a local game store, Luck Factory Games, where you can pay a few dollars and play games out of their library for all day long. Um, I think that's a great way to try new games and see what you like. And I think sometimes you play a game and you're like, I want to add that to my collection. Not too long ago, I played Endless Winter. And I was intrigued by it enough that I was like, I want to add that to my collection. Same thing with Gutenberg. I was like, I liked that. I want to play it again a few times. Scratch that itch. I want it in my collection. That's one of my favorite thing about board game conventions. It, that gives you the opportunity to try a bunch of different games. And then sometimes you can immediately go to the people who designed the game and buy it from them. Shout out to our last episode, Meet Your Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think those kind of opportunities make it really easy to know if you're going to enjoy and actually play a game. I think my biggest flaw in curating a collection is I look at Kickstarter and I experience FOMO, fear of missing out. And (laughs) I am like, I need to buy this game and add it to my collection, which is ridiculous because it's going to go to retail eventually, probably, and probably... I don't need it, but it's exciting to be part of that crowdfunding, I think. Um, I also have a problem where I I love, like, mystery deals and things like that. Yeah. (laughs) Again, you're going to probably get a bunch of games, and they're probably just going to be okay games that weren't selling. So I get excited when I see that kind of stuff. Like, there were a few of them at the start of Pandemic where I was like, oh, this is, like, 20 games for $200. How bad can those 20 games be? And how many of them have I actually played? Right? So <laughs> well, how, don't go crazy. Well, how many? I don't know. We need to know. I mean, I, I math is hard. <laughs> Shelf of shame. Shelf of shame. But not Shelf of but shame. That was... Shelf of opportunity. It would be the shelf of opportunity if they had all been like unboxed and rules read and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> So what do you think is the importance of having a well-rounded collection for having different mechanisms within your collection? As a board gamer, I'm going to play with a wide variety of group sizes and different types of board gaming types. So having a variety of mechanisms and games allows me to cater to the various audiences I may be playing with. And uh, King Domino is the number one game we're going to play with our mom. <laughs> but as much as I love that game, it's gonna, I'm going to be hard-pressed to <laughs> convince her to play Scythe. 
I, you know, we might we might have her. We, we uh, might have her. <laughs> we, I, I got to play got to play Scythe this uh, this last weekend as well, and Mom seemed interested to try it. <laughs> wow. Does uh does Randy have a video for that one? Randy does have a video for that nice. one. I do what really like Jesse's Jesse's comments. Buy games that you can play. Yeah. <laughs> Anachrony. That's, that's probably the most important. <laughs> knowing your game group, knowing who you're going to play with, is probably the most important because the games that I like are like dry, crusty Euros. You know, I like the long <laughs> hour and a half, two hour long Euro games. It's all about pushing cubes. I would never get those to the table. Just, I, I wouldn't. Because the person I play with the most is Ellen, and she d- she needs a little bit of theme in her games. She needs raccoons wearing suits. It helps. <laughs> raccoons wearing suits helps. <laughs> I don't think having that many mechanisms is that important. I guess if you see a game you should that looks interesting, you should look at the mechanisms. Uh, Board Game Geek is a huge resource for this. If you type in the game, uh, go to the game's page, it tells you the main mechanisms that are in it. Michael was doing this earlier. He was reading off the the lists of hand management style games. Do that. To be fair, some of those mechanisms are very vague, so <laughs> your mileage may fair. your mileage may vary. <laughs> That's fair, but I think it's a good starting point for, to compare what other games games. So you can take a look and see if you like worker placement. Go to the worker placement page, look at them, and see if it has enough of a twist to be different enough for your collection. Um, and if you find that two games are similar, but you don't need to own both. Either a don't buy buy one of them, or if you already have one of them, do what we said earlier: sell and or pass on. Board board games are meant to be played. Reading or watching reviews of games can be really helpful too. I think that lots of times you can see what other people have to say and take it with a grain of salt, especially if they're not like professional critics. If they're just people who played games and said I liked it or I didn't like it, I think a lot of people have pretty extreme opinions, and I think. Usually people only post if they really love or really hate something. Um, But I think in general, looking at what people are saying can tell you like, oh, people are expressing that this game takes way too long for, for the amount of fun they had for it. If you're seeing that from consistently lots and lots of people, then it's probably going to be true unless you're the kind of person who's like, I love games that take really long compared to how long I think they should be. <laughs> Let the fun continue. Yeah, I got some uh, some reviewers that, that I trust in explaining how it f- will feel to play a board game, and I'll be able to decide if that's the game for me. That's Yeah, just play games, man. That's That's the best way to know what to get. Play games, then you'll know what, you'll have a better idea what you like. But it's important to to play as many as you can first before you start hoarding. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. That wasn't a jab at you, Jesse. <laughs> Look, board game boxes are nice art. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's a brother talk for another day. And that brings us to the end of another podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you're confused why we didn't have a mail time this time, maybe write in a question yourself. (laughs) You can email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com or you can send us a message on Discord using the link below. You could also contact us on Instagram using the link below. We may not post a lot of pictures, but I I use it to chat to quite a few people. I know, because I also get the notifications. (laughs) (laughs) Well, until next time, bye bye Bye! Bye, y'all!